Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yasir and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Just how important is time on the grass? Well, I think in itself, it's in, it's imperative. You have to make sure that you're getting as many experiences as possible for as long as possible across as many different ages and stages, formats of the game, because I think that's just going to enrich your experiences. Um, it'd be interesting if anyone agrees or disagrees, but for me, I know there's a lot of people that would talk about you know, maybe that we often worry about early specialisation with players, but you'll get some who perhaps specialise as coaches. And I think you, you maybe can later on in your career. I think you'll gravitate for sure. Um, you know, I never aspired to be, a let's say, a coach developer or a, a director of coaching or head of coaching or anything like that. That wasn't on my mission list, if you like. It's weird how it all works out. I, I always wanted to just work as a good level as I could, be a head coach and so forth. And I knew I wanted to get as much experience. You know, I never played professionally. I was in academy systems. I was at Halifax Town as a youth player. Um, Chris Wilder was actually the first team manager at the time. Um, and But I never obviously, you know, played senior professional football or elite level. So there will have been a lot of experiences or knowledge base that, you know, I would have lacked. Um, and obviously, you have to work hard to, to get on this. Obviously, Tony will know he, he uh, helped start a lot of my career, you know, getting us on the level too. And I had Jack Trainer, if anyone remembers him, good old Jack Trainer, trainer by name, trainer by nature. He was the one who, who did us on my level one and just kept going. But I think, you know, without going around, it's, it's interesting to look at coach education now. Obviously, I've got a bias, I believe, in online learning and I like the the ease of it, the flexibility of it. You know, we're talking now, we're on a a Twitter space. You can access so many resources online now, you know, digitally in your own time. There's a huge benefit of that. But it should never replace 
being on the grass and getting natural experiences, coaching players and adapting with people who are in front of you because I'm having this debate with, you know, a lot of the federations that I do coach education for, you know, where they've done a lot of blended learning or they've just purely done all online. But for me, the challenge with that becomes is that, you know, how much experience are the coaches getting of being better at coaching? And that's why, to me, you know, to answer your question, how important is it to, to get time on the grass? It's vital because, you know, it's not to say that, you know, the way I've explained it is the best way. You know, it works for me. It might not work for someone else. But I know that working across different age groups, working with U6s and U5s and trying to really understand what their game looks like without really knowing what that meant at that age when I started coaching, actually getting to grips with managing behaviour, you know, making sure that you're, you're grabbing people's attention, you're, you're hooking them, how to manage behaviour, how to manage attention, how to manage kids and chaos and all the other stuff that comes with it when you're working with young players. And then what that looks like is 77, 99, even when you work at 11, 11 or, you know, sometimes I, I was working in like college setups and coaching at college level and then games, actually dealing with games. I mean, that was a huge one for me where I'd spent a lot of years, you know, I was running my own business. I was doing private one-to-one training. I was doing this, that and the other, as we all will have. You're doing coaching. Um, got my level two, I think even at a point where I got my UA for B. But then I remember coaching at Rochdale as an academy coach. And, you know, I was struggling in the games. And when I look back, it's probably because I didn't have a lot of game day coaching experience. You know, that in itself of like, dealing with tactics, managing substitutions, dealing with a lot of things. I never had it, so I didn't know what I was doing, so I was learning on the fly. But in terms of how to run a session, and it sounds weird, but that I seem to be all right at, so I had to gain um, other experiences. And I just think it's it's so vital. You know, I've worked in disability football and worked with kids like that with different disabilities and women's, boys, girls, men. I think it's great. I, I think all it's going to do is just enrich you um, you know, if anyone listening, I think it's going to enrich you with having more scenarios up your sleeve to be able to be more adaptable. And I think that's where we need to go. And then obviously you'll you'll see where you gravitate as a coach. Vince, get what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think there's a lot of uh, positive things in what you just said there. And obviously, I think ultimately it's just about getting that range of experiences that, you know, to use the word that you've said there, is enrich yourself in terms of what does it look like in different environments? What might it look like working through a kind of a, a journey of a player, whether that be from, you know, the foundation stages all the way through to kind of a senior football, if you like. And I think just learning and understanding what that piece looks like. But I think, you know, I think you're certainly right as well that coaches um, sometimes can be in danger of maybe early specialisation around where their journey is going to go. But I don't necessarily think that's such a bad, such a bad thing at the same time, as long as we're starting to understand and recognise what that, you know, that longer-term journey looks like in the types of environments and some of the challenges that the players may have come through to get to where they are now based on where you're, what you're specialising in, if that makes sense. I think certainly if you're working in youth football, which majority of, obviously, you know, the people probably listening to this are, I think it's really important to have a good understanding of what your players um, potentially are coming from and what they're potentially now going to go into after after they leave your environment so that you can kind of pitch what you're doing at the right level, um, at least have a good understanding of where, you know, what where the piece of the jigsaw 
is that you're currently you're currently situated on if that makes sense so i think that bit is really key i think for me it's really interesting because obviously something i've been i've been speaking to a lot of coaches about recently around this exact topic around just how important time on the grass is and i think for me we're we're so you know, there's so many coaches out there that are, you know constantly asking questions around oh, how do I develop myself, how do I learn, how do I how do I um, build my knowledge and my skill sets and and all the rest of it that comes with it, and I think more than anything, it's just highlighting that actually, you know, studying is great, learning about yourself as a coach is great, learning all the technical information, tactical detail, um, different types of practice design, all of that stuff that you know you're investing your time in is is all, you know, um, none of it's in vain. However it's not the real thing until you actually apply it. And I think that's the key thing. It's just, are, you know, are you taking the knowledge that you are, you are currently on, you know, um, in, in possession of, if you like, and are you applying it? Are you then reflecting on it to see whether, you know, the theory that you've, you, you've gone away and you've learned it and you've tried to invest your time in developing is actually what you thought it should be and what it could be. Or is it, is it some nuances that maybe haven't been picked up in the knowledge that you've got? at this point in time that you might now need to start considering and when you apply it into, into these environments and you know just because something hasn't worked in one situation doesn't mean that it, it, it's not necessarily going to work in another situation so I think it's recognizing you know again the subtle differences in how certain bits might work here certain bits might work there but then paying attention a lot closer to why where when did it work why where when did it not work um, and how do you then need to utilize that information to adapt and move forward? So I think there's something really key in that for me in terms of, you know, you mentioned it earlier about getting that range of experiences and having many different experiences and not just having the same experience again and again and again. Because, again, another thing that you hear is, you know, some coaches that say, oh, I've been, I've been coaching for 30 years. Okay, you've been coaching for 30 years, but what's the context to that? Because there's some coaches that have been coaching for 30 years, but they've been coaching 30 years for once a week and then managing a game on a Saturday or a Sunday for the last 30 years, that same old repetitive experience. Now, they might be um, they might be very well experienced, but they're only experienced in, 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 in limited areas of the game, if that makes sense. And I think it's really important, like you said, to have that, that enrichment of experiences where it is widespread. Um, however, I, I do think it's worth noting that I think you can, you can have a specialisation as well. And I think that's where coaches need to start to consider you know that if you do want to work in the men's game at a senior level, as an example, spending the next ten years working as a foundation phase coach in a particular environment might not be best suited for you in terms of developing you for that. So I think have those experiences, but but almost be deliberate and intentional around where you're, where you're getting your experience and where you might learn to get more of those experiences relevant to where you want to take your journey as well. Just a few things for me there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't know if I can agree or disagree, like play devil's advocate a little bit. It'd be interesting. And it's great because we've got some good people listening as well. And, and it's always great to get different perspectives on this stuff. I would say, you know, to build on what you said there, I, I remember this quote when someone said to me, doing the same thing, you know, over and over again for the last 10, 15, 20 years or however many, whatever it is, is, is like year one. It's not year 20. It's year, you're still in year one. Because you're not obviously adapting with the times, you're not you're not changing or whatever. For me, it's the quality of the experiences as as well, not so much the quantity. Because even in that, you know, you can have some who um, 
I mean, it's like anything in life. It's what you're doing. But if you look at the actual numbers, numbers probably don't lie. So if you're only coaching one time a week, you might have a game on a Sunday or whatever, at whatever level. Is that really 30 years of experience, to your point? Because um, this was one of the reasons why I ended up going to America, for many other reasons, financial being one as well, and, and other stuff. But I remember years ago, the reason why I was so interested in the US at a certain level was because I'd, I found that you were just coaching more. So obviously I was coaching full-time anyway, and I was doing stuff with Rayesa and so on. Um, but I ended up going to the States, and over there you're coaching multiple teams. You've got several practices a week, almost nearly every other day of the week, if not every day. And you could have, you know, like in Michigan, some of the teams I was coaching at different ages, U10s or U12s, some were playing in the Directors Academy or, um, you know, U19s or whatever. You could have three or four games in a weekend. And that's not including a tournament. Obviously, if you're in a tournament, you're playing roughly around that maybe or more. You know, so it's incredible. If I take some of our teams here with sporting, you know, we some of our teams played four or five games yesterday. It's crazy when you think about it, you know, and, and you could be playing a game Friday, Saturday and Sunday and then a game on a Tuesday. Um, they're almost playing in some cases more than the, <laughs> you could think like the pros. And you might have that as uh, coaching across different age groups. So for me, you could, you know, you could come out to the States or some of these other foreign countries and even be part time, but coaching more hours and more game experiences as well as more practices than you could if you stayed in England working as a part-time coach for X amount of years. Um, I mean, I'm just throwing that one out there. I think it's an interesting one. And that was something that I wanted to accelerate because I felt like I could almost get what someone's done in five or ten years working at academy level or whatever, I would have got in a weekend. You know, So you're going to accumulate more. Um, I do want to be a bit controversial with you guys, though. And I think it's good. We've I saw something you posted recently around coaches at the top level. It got me thinking, and, you know, why is it that certain coaches, you know, I know Lampard's lost his role. There'll be several reasons for that. But why is it that certain coaches are successful than others? And, and I do often think about, you know, coaches who, to your last point, right, you're saying, like, hey, if you want to be at this level, that might not be the right thing for you. But what if it is? You know, I would argue that if you look at um, a lot of the coaches who have gone, you know, I fell into cracks. Tony, would be good to hear your point on this. I got into clashes in one of my head of coaching roles um, at Cat Free Academy. It was interesting because the coach uh, who came in, obviously, never coached really before, no real experience, uh, but obviously played 500-plus league games, really nice guy. Um, was a legend in the club. First role, what is it? Under-18s coach, of course it is. But you have some coaches who have got experiences and accumulated stuff that would work their way through. But this coach might have done the odd guest session here and there, didn't have their A licence. Um, you know, we've got coaches here who in a similar fashion, don't have the B licence, don't have their A licence yet, or they've only just got it and they're getting fast-tracked. But yet they're straight up to doing the reserves. Or doing the under 18s or under 21s. It's to me, I get the experiences that you've gained as a player, which are very enriching, very powerful if used correctly. But the time on the grass is important, right? 
So without creating a debate, actually being the foundation phase coach and being a really good coach like that, that might actually help you in your career. I think the coach in the journey has to look at, you know, we use that word specialization. At some point, they might have to look at what experiences am I going to need or certain job roles or careers that are going to align me to where I want to go, that destination. And you'll notice that some coaches are very aggressive in how they do that, right? Um, but I'll just finish this point real quick. You, and we've all seen those coaches on the courses and they're aggressive. You know, they'll do the YDP, but they're always in a hunger to get the under-18s job, to get the 21s job, to then go to this other club, uh, Cap 1, and that might be under-18s to see that as, or under-16s to see that as a step down, but then they see it as a step up because it's a Cap 1 academy and it gets them to the first team and there's all that stuff. For me, what I want to leave on without bouncing around is you can actually get really fucking good experience working with players, dealing with challenges, learning how to teach, learning how to create an environment, learning how to be really effective and efficient in your practice design by work at the younger ages and being the best coach you can be. And if you look at a lot of the coaches, let's take a few as an example, who are currently working at some of the top levels now, you know, Mick Beals obviously at Rangers started off as a youth coach, community football and the community coach, doing sessions at AFC Wimbledon with the girls doing disability football, doing non-league, doing, started his own business football disallow Brazilian soccer schools, didn't work out, was at Chelsea for a number of years, doing across U19, U14, ended up um, going obviously to Liverpool, doing the 16s, moved up to 18s, moved up to 21s, went out to Sao Paulo as assistant, came back. Even though he had aspirations to be his first team coach at that point, it was very clear he actually went back to Liverpool as a foundation phase lead, working with under-11s, under-9 players and coaches. And then from there, he went as assistant to Stephen Gerrard at Rangers and then obviously to Villa. And now he's obviously head coach. And he was head coach at QPR for a bit. You look at Ian Birchnell, another lad I know, well, speak well, and obviously Tony will come off across uh, Ian from times at coaching at Leeds, just like Graham Potter. People forget York College. Graham Potter was doing sessions at York College with me when I was a 16-year-old, you know, and doing uh, stuff with Gordon Stanifer and people like that. And you look at his career trajectory, similar to Birch, where he went out with Brian Dean and went to Norway, but he was doing academy stuff at Bradford, you know, failed his B licence, went again, learned past second or third time, went and did his A in Scotland, did his pro in Norway, Gained experiences on the grass is what I'm getting at. And then bought, worked with kids. Did the kids at Leeds. Did the U9s at Leeds. Did the U11s and 12s and what have you at Bradford City. Went on and got some scene experiences, but was doing stuff within the college program at Leeds and Leeds Uni and stuff like that. No different to Graham Potter, who's now obviously at Chelsea. Birch is at uh, Forest Green Rovers. You look at other coaches who have come from Liverpool. Um, sounds like I'm on a soapbox, but actually a lot of these coaches have gained unbelievable quality experiences being a bloody good coach on the grass, making mistakes, seeing failure and learning and bouncing from that. You know, people don't realise Michael Bill, McBill, did his um, UEFA B with, obviously, my old mentor and old boss, Oship, in Wales. Did his um, coaching badges in England as well. Didn't do his A licence in England. Didn't do his pro licence in England either. Did it in Ireland, you know. Um, end up going through other different pathways and has got to where he's got to. But then you'll see other guys who will jump. And again, Ten Hag is another example who worked in the youth academies, turned down jobs as a first-team coach, 
because he wasn't ready yet before where he's gone to now. And you'll see it. Whereas other coaches, they just want to jump straight in. And why is it that they fail? Is it because they haven't had that prime question that you've got there, Yaz, which is how important is time on the grass? I'm going to leave you with this one is, have they done the apprenticeship? Have you got a football apprenticeship in coaching? You know, and sorry, I know you got your hand up. It'd be interesting to get your, your points and, you know, and your answers to that or anyone else. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I think there's a lot in there and I think there's a lot of points, you know, some really, really fantastic points. You know, I'll start, I'll start right at the end of that. Maybe they'll come back to the question, just how important is the time of grass? I think if we, if, you know, just to give a bit of context, I think there is definitely value in coaching younger age groups, regardless of where you want to work. But I think, you know, in, in you know, just touching on this point now, I think even more specifically for those guys that are coming out of the game as ex-pros, because one, I think it will be a humbling experience for them because I think a lot of them, you know, and it's a generalisation, of course, but I think a lot of them come out of their careers and just expect, oh, yeah, I've paid, like you said, 300, 400, 500, 600 league games. I've got to go straight into management. I deserve it. Um, but the reality is, myself, yourself, we've probably never coached. I oh, sorry, probably never, you know, never played professional football. But we probably got about fifteen, twenty years on on the grass. Which, yes, they may have some insights and understanding of environments at a senior level, but they have never, you know, they, they don't have the same value of experience in terms of coaching. So I think from that perspective, I think there's definitely value in them certainly going going across and working with the young, younger age groups and learning a little bit more about what it means to actually be a coach. Because um, obviously a lot of these guys go in, want to go into management. Sometimes, in, in some cases, they go into management. They don't really even take the sessions. They just hire some people that they know in and around the game that will come in and do the coaching for them. And they've just happened to have a good relationship with him and they just become the spokesperson for the, for the, for the team of staff, if you like. So I think, um, you know, that's one way of kind of looking at it. And I think the key thing to highlight there as well, as Gerard, is who, who's at fault? Is it the clubs? For just assuming that because these people have played the game that they're going to just automatically be good enough to coach? Um, or is it is it the is it is it the you know the individuals themselves? I think there's a you know there's, there's a shared blame there if you like in that respect, because certainly for some of the ex pros that I've spoken to that have that have actually gone and taken that step in working in the foundation phase or in the lower YDP age groups, even though they've got long term ambitions and intentions of progressing up the ladder and potentially moving into first team football, I can't think of a single person that I've spoken to in that situation where they've actually haven't had positive things to say about the experiences working with the younger age groups purely because it's actually shown them a different side that they probably never even considered, which then obviously becomes transferable because as they now start to work with older players and more senior players, actually they realise I'm still t- I, I still need to be able to interact with these people. I still need to be able to coach. It's not just about being aggressive, like you know, in the way that you described it. So I think that you know that's definitely a great, uh, you know kind of key thing to kind of highlight there. I think in terms of the time on the grass piece, I think one thing that's really kind of stood out for me in the last in the last few weeks in terms of different conversations I had with coaches as well is that um, you know I kind of link back into what I said earlier is there's so many coaches out there doing doing what they would consider the hard graft in terms of developing themselves, learning, reading, and all of this stuff, but actually. None of that matters unless you start applying it. You need to be able to apply it. And I think, you know, I'm not sure how much I agree with the whole idea that you need to plan, do and review at equal times. But I think you certainly do need to review everything that you do. And I think that's another thing that, you know, often coaches don't, you know, they just they don't, they don't recognise the importance and appreciate the value of in that. I've delivered something. 
did it work? Did it work as well as I wanted it to work? And, you know, the other thing that I often say to coaches to look at is, well, just because something worked doesn't mean it's working its best. So, you know, we've got two, what, two modes of transport here. One's moving at two miles an hour and one's moving at seven. If we're not, if, if you know, what, what we're more concerned with, the movement or the, or the progress, that, the speed of progress that we're making, if that makes sense, how efficient are we being? You know, just because we know it does, just because we know it works, does it mean that we should leave it where it is or should we continue to look to kind of develop on it and try and get more out of it, if you like? So I think, you know, there's a, there's a key piece in that as well. And I think, you know, you gave examples of, you know, you, 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 you know Michael Bill and Graham Potter. And, you know, I think one thing's for certain, and this is, you know, and I'll kind of, um, I'll finish on this one and just get, some, get everyone else's thoughts, is my advice to coaches is always, you want to be in multiple environments at the same time as best as possible. Ideally, you want to be in a situation where you're in an environment where you are constant, constantly being stretched and challenged. You're constantly being stretched and challenged. You may not have all the answers, but you're constantly being stretched and challenged. There's opportunities to learn and develop. But more specifically, you're, lo- you're in an environment where your opportunities there are for learning and development off the back of working with other people. I think, there's, I think the, the second type of environment you want to kind of throw yourself in is an environment where you feel somewhat comfortable but it's still going to throw um, some curveballs at you from time to time. Some things that are going to question you're going to have to question yourself and the way that you work. But then I think that equally you need to be in, an, in in that third environment where I don't think this is where you should be spending most of your time, but probably least of it. But I feel, I think you have to be spending time in this type of environment too. And some of these environments might double up, but being in an environment where you're now being challenged to support the development of other coaches. Because I think if you're in that environment where you're now challenged to support the development of other coaches, you're going to have to start questioning yourself and actually asking yourself whether the information that you're trying to pass on and help educate these other coaches with is the right level of information. Is it the right information? Why is it the right information? So I think having you know, some access to one of those three environments at any given time and potentially all three environments uh, within within a um within a single period of time i think is going to be really relevant and it, it, for me in terms of the, how important is the time on the grass piece i think really what i'm saying is you need to be able to have that opportunity where you can make your mistakes where you're not going to get everything right, you're going to be stressed and challenged. There's going to be questions asked of you, but equally, you need to be in environments where you're able, where you're able to apply things, knowing that this is stuff that you've tried out and it works, and be able to utilize that. But then, obviously, the big pieces for me is the reflection. How often are you reflecting on what you're doing and what's working, what why it's working, why it's not working? Is it is it that it doesn't work? Is it that the individuals within the environment are not best suited for that that way of coaching, or is it that actually you're rocking up, you're not planning your sessions and you're trying to wing it and actually you've got players who are actually quite smart and they're just catching you out on it. And I've seen, you know, you see it all the time, but I think ultimately it's just having a range of those environments, but the key thing being how often are you applying rather than just um, digesting, if that makes sense. No, I think this is great, you know, and when I was listening to you, I was just thinking completely agree in terms of, again, when I was coach, I had I was coaching part time at Rochdale, so it's two sessions a week with different age groups, and then you'd have a game on a Sunday. Every now and then you'd have different festivals or whatever. But typically, you know, we we actually went to three with each other piece. It was like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, 
And then obviously Friday would be uh, day release when they used to do it, which was even better. But then during the week, I was also coaching at college. So I was with under-19s. Then I was doing uh, non-league as a non-league head coach at Eccles United in the, the North uh, East Counties. Then I was doing other stuff. and So I grew with you. And actually, even though there was negatives to that as well, for sure, but it was good having to see different hats and different uh, and adapt from what it looks like at the stage where you, you do, you are judged on three points and then what it is at another stage. So agree. And there was something you said earlier, like who's to blame? You know, that was an interesting point. And I just think um, a lot of clubs, I saw this recently where clubs hired a coach more because of his name, the brand and the experience, knowing full well that he's not the long-term fit for the, for the organisation. And he has aspirations and is probably waiting for that head coach to fail so that he can jump in and grab that guy's job. He's been a head coach. If you look at his resume, that's typically what he's done or he's been around. He has worked in academy football, but then he's been appointed as an academy director. To me, that that's questionable. And I think sometimes similar appointments to that happen, don't they? And you say who's to blame. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I think organisations should hire. You know, you're not going to get everyone for 20 years. I don't know if that's right either. You know, there's probably a reason why the President of the United States has to serve a certain amount of term before he you know, has to go for re-election. I think that's important. But at the same time, you know, you just hire somebody that you think is going to have the, the vested interest of the organisation versus you know, purely their own agenda, which we all have an agenda, but it's you've got to get there. Because you know what we didn't mention before we open up, Yaz, I think will be good, is it comes back to this question about how important is time on the grass. I think what we've got to consider is making sure that you're in a position to be successful. There's a lot of times where I've gone into jobs where I didn't know what I was doing per se, but you blooming learn quick, right? <laughs> you learn on the fly and you adapt and, you know, you've got to be humble and you just got to go with the flow. And I tell you what, you're out of your depth, but you you quickly get to grips, you know, or you have to or you, as you die. But a lot of those experiences, when I look back now, I think, God, those experiences have prepared me for this role, which I'm now in and I'm better for it. So I think that's what it's about is getting those, recognising there's times when to go out your comfort zone for sure and kind of you're winging it and you're going with the flow. And there's times where you, actually you're in the right place for the right reason. And it's those experiences that you've gained before that's prepared you for that next role, which you're in now. And that'll prepare you for the next one. And that's important. So seeing it as a journey versus being in this, you know, rat race and this constant race to get to there as fast as possible. Um, but it's tough because you have bills to pay. And you have, you know, you have so many things you need to do to get to where you are. So, you know, it's, it is a fine balancing act. Sorry, mate. No, no, no. I think it's just just on that point there. But, you, you know, you, you're talking about winging it and, learn, you know, and just, you know, learn on the fly. But the, the, the reality is this, that, you know, we're always going to be in that situation. I think you said it prepares you for the next role. But I think the key thing that I'm trying to highlight here for coaches to think about is it's only going to prepare you for the next role if you're actually doing the reflection on it. So even if you know you've 
had a bad spell or you, you know or whatever it was it's gone well you're only going to be able to take that information forward if you've been able to reflect on the reasons why it went well or why it didn't go well and again to highlight just because you did it one way in a role and it didn't go well doesn't mean it's not going to work in that same way in another role because the environment might be different and better suited for those for those strategies and tactics that you've applied if that makes sense and i think that's where that's what i really want to kind of nail down on this in terms of this time on the grass piece is that as coaches, we really need to just spend more time reflecting what's working for us, what's not working for us. But more importantly, why is it working? Why is it not working? What 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 would need to be different for it to work? What would be what would need what would you know what would need to be missing from how it is now for it to stop working almost? And asking those questions, and you know, I, th- I think one of the other ones that just kind of just came into my head as you were talking there is. You know, we're learning from experiences, but how how often we've been told to go and learn off other coaches and their experiences. But, you know, often that just becomes a bit generic. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Eric as well, and it's like, well, if I really want to learn from someone else's experiences, what I need to be specific about is what experiences have they got that I'm trying to learn from. If I want to develop my, my ability or my skill in a particular area of my craft, then who am I turning to to do that? I, 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 why am I picking this individual? Or am I just rocking up and saying, actually, what this person's got UEFA B or he's got UEFA or they got a pro license. So I'm going to go and observe them. You know, and I think it, it's being, again, you know, that, that phrase I like to use a lot, a lot is around being deliberate and intentional about where we're going to get our information and why we're going to those places. But also, I think it's equally as important to identify as many people that have had the successes and we can learn off them, but we can also learn off the people that have failures the people that haven't had success, the people that have actually gone through certain situations that actually didn't work out for them. Can we unpack their, their experiences? Can we learn from that? And people like, you know, why didn't, why do you think that didn't work out? What was it about the, the environment or the individuals? Or do you think there's something particular that you did in that environment at that given time that, you know, didn't allow your strategies and your, your, your systems to work in the way that you wanted it to? Or, you know, was there, what, what, what were some of the intricate things that maybe from the outside we can't really pick up on? And I think that, you know, that's probably just as important for me. And I think, you know, the final piece around, <laughs> um, you know, you talk there about, you know, still trying to make a living. But I think the bottom line is this. I think if you're doing it with, in- with the best of intentions, I think the key thing is just having integrity in what you do. And I think if you have the integrity in what you do, you never rock up to, th- rock up to sessions and just say, I'm going to wing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna fly through this and just expect it to work because I heard a quote the other day and I thought this quote was perfect and it, it applies in this in this context as well. As a you know the, the quote was the gym is the fairest place in the world. The gym is the fairest place in the world because what you put in is what you're gonna get out, right? And I think this I think it applies to this as well in the fact that you know if you really want to become a better coach, you're only gonna do it by putting the work in. 
and putting the work isn't just the reading but it's actually taking that information that you're absorbing that learning that the observations that you're doing and actually applying it reflecting on it see whether it works for you see where it doesn't work for you why does it work for you and i think you start to learn a bit more about yourself and the type of coach that you want to be and i think one of the biggest real takeaway messages i've had recently is a, is a coach say to me that you know quite often he likes to imitate other coaches but the reality is you if you're imitating you're always looking to copy someone else after the fact why not find out who you are, what works for you, what you naturally are good at? I say naturally, but what what are the things that your life experiences have shaped you to become effective with? But utilizing that as the kind of the basis on which you then deliver and run the rest of your craft on, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if it does, but yeah, it'd be good to get your thoughts and anyone else wants to share anything. No, I think you bang on. I think it's really good, especially one of the last questions you've asked and just being authentic to yourself, but, re- you know, recognise what other people have got. How does that shape you? And there's a lot of breadcrumbs, isn't there, and failure, so bring it, bring it, love it. Tony? Good evening, everybody. Quite... <laughs> good evening. gone through quite a lot of stuff there, and to be fair, I've actually... <laughs> I've forgotten why I requested to speak because Gerard asked, Gerard asked a question to me. Um, so I, I put the request to speak on it and then you two have gone and unpacked another load of stuff. So um, I'll just throw a few thoughts in and then Gerard might remember what it was he asked me and I can I can answer the question. Um, just in terms of the, of the actual topic for the, for the Twitter space, just how important is time on the grass? For me, it's everything. Uh, and I get what Yaz is saying uh, about reflection. And obviously, it's important. Um, and a lot of that reflection and a lot of the pre-stuff, the planning and, and the session planning will go on away from the, the grass. But for me, coaching is a it's a person-to-person skill. It's a people skill. Um, and... If, you, if you're not putting the theory into practice, then why are you getting the theory? This is the biggest problem that I have with, with the way that the FA in this country have changed the system, particularly at the very foundation level with, um, with the online learning for, for the level one. If you, if you can't interact with people at level, at level one, so you, you're going to get this qualification online, do this, do that. Even the safeguarding and, and the first aid stuff uh, is, the, you know, majorly online now. So you get all that. You've got your certificate. You've got your level one without actually taking a session. So you go down to Sports Direct and get your initials on your coat. Then you go out there with the kids and... You, you you might be lost for words. You might not know how to control the group because you've only you've only got the theory of it. What about the disruptive kid? What about the gobby kid? What about the show off? You know how are you going to deal with them? Um, so I think that those those people skills um, can't be can't be honed anywhere other than on the grass. If you know if that's your that's your office. That's your that's your place of work. When it when it comes to coaching, not the classroom, not the book, not the magazine. You know, some other points there, like Yaz was saying about 
um, going and watching other coaches. I've always invited um, other coaches, uh, every club that I've worked at, come and watch us work. Not necessarily me, me, my other coaches, anybody uh, who's worked at the club. And in fact, Gerard uh, came in one time when I was working at Rotherham United to to observe some sessions when he was uh, doing his level two. Um, but what I I want people to come in and watch the coach, like you said, Yaz. Observe the coach. Don't observe the session. Don't come in and start making loads and loads of notes. By all means, you know, ask about it at, at an appropriate time. But don't come in just to copy and critique the session. Come in and see what the coach does, how he interacts with players, what are his interventions like. So I think there's an awful lot to unpack. The last thing I'll mention, um, if it's okay, is uh, the the point that, that Yaz was making about um, coaches earlier on, and, and I may have taken this the wrong way. When you made that... Um, that tweet earlier on the week, it's something that I've been thinking for a while now, that if Graham Potter is unsuccessful at Chelsea, does that sound the death knell for up-and-coming young British coaches? Because he was absolutely lauded for what he did at Brighton, and rightly so, and what he did abroad before he came back. And now that he's been given the opportunity at uh, inverted commas a bigger club if he doesn't make a go of it then then who's next would kind of be my uh, my my personal thoughts on it so and I think it's a great question yeah and, and it's um <laughs> it's a conversation which has often uh, you know often had a lot of uh, sparked a lot of debate over the years and I think it's it's, it's a very difficult one as well because the reality is, whether it whether it's the right appointment, whether it's the wrong appointment, we won't know that until, until it happens. But the bottom line is this. Graham Potter is not giving two shits about what it's going to mean for the rest of the industry or people who are up and coming from his background or his path when he's looking at taking that job. Now, that's the realities of the situation. There, there's not a single person in Graham Potter's shoes, whether, you know, it's not to say they're right or wrong, but it is what it is. So, um, unfortunately, though, it can have that, it can have that detrimental impact for the coaches up and coming behind him. But I think also what I think we're starting to see, and I think um, we're starting to really appreciate in the industry as coaches is that clearly, with the examples of Gerard and Lampard as an example, Maybe ex pros aren't the right way to go either. So I think it is it is definitely highlighting a lot more for maybe the clubs and especially the board and the directors and even the chairmen of the club to look at it and think, well, actually, are we going to just jump on board? But then at the same time, you know, Gerard made a point earlier about, you know, I, I would not be shocked if there is literally just certain clubs hiring certain people because of the name and the and the the. The commercial awareness it might bring to to the club just by having those people involved. Um, so it, it, I think it's a careful a careful decision that people need to make. But I think certainly, if anything, it should be a source of inspiration for coaches coming forward and trying to again learn from people's mistakes. If it doesn't work out for Potter for what any, for any you know for whatever reason, and at, at a certain point it won't work out for Potter. It won't. He's not going to be there forever. At some point he is going to get sacked. 
hopefully it's, 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 it's later rather than sooner. But there will be some learnings from it. And I think the key, the key thing is what, what are people going to learn from it? What are people going to look at when they see that situation? Where, you know, how are they going to absorb that information and look to kind of take away some golden nuggets, if you like, and apply it to their own journeys? You know, prime example, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a shitload of people that have learned from the situation that Sam Maladas had when he was England manager. 99% of us probably don't even remember that he was England manager. But but, do you know what I mean? So I think there's a, um, I think there's definitely, it's a mindset thing. So yeah, you know, it could could impact on the future of up-and-coming coaches, depending on what environment they're coming into. But I think we're also starting to see that actually, the world of coach education, the world of coach development, the world of kind of coaching, just being a craft in itself, I think it started to become a bit more respected in that way, in a way that academia is being relied on a, a lot more now. So although maybe not the traditional qualifications are meaning anything, but people with, you know, people even people like Gerard, isn't it? I mean, they're currently doing his PhD and other people, you know, academics in the game. And I think they are becoming a bit more respected in the industry to the point where, It'd be very, very surprising if we don't start to see more academic influences taking over in the game in the future. Just, a, just a thought and a consideration. Um, go for it, Tom. Yeah, I mean, really good points. Um, I'm just thinking now of kind of of better examples where, where maybe both individuals and clubs have done it right in terms of the the coaching pathway. Um, you look at Duncan Ferguson, for example, who kind of went under the radar a little bit as a coach at Everton. Um, you know, given his quite uh, stormy playing career, he seems to have settled into a, a really good coaching role. He, he worked at Everton under some top managers, um, was given the, the job, the main job on an interim basis. But they never really fancied him to to get it longer term. And, you know, he's just rocked up at Forest Green um, in the last few days. So hopefully that that journey to a, a big club, if you like, is going to be done in in smaller steps. Um, and another guy who I know reasonably well it, it would be Mark Jackson, who, again like Gerard mentioned earlier on, come through the academy system at Leeds, working with younger players, started working with older players, got uh, brought under Bielsa's um, umbrella a little bit and and Carlos Corberan. Uh, And now he's gone to MK Dons. And you you just, as somebody who knows them a little bit, these, these kind of coaches, you hope that he has a better time of it than Dan Michici, who... Made that same that same step from academy coach to quite a big hitter within the FA coach education system, um, and then maybe got a job that he wasn't ready for because maybe he did miss a step out. I'm not hundred percent sure. No, I think it's a great point, but I think the key thing is, oh, you know, yeah. if it goes well, you know, we'll be sitting there saying, "Now nah, they did it right, the right way." If it doesn't go well, there's always question marks, right? And I think, um, you know, Gerald talks about earlier about learning on the learning on the cuff, fly, you know, learning on the fly, and just you know adapting and being flexible. I think one of the things you can't blame them for, obviously, is you know, 
first of all, fair play to those guys that have been given opportunities and say, actually, I'm not quite ready for it yet. You know, fair enough. Um, and in, you know, in a lot of cases, they might not be quite ready for it. But I think I'm also a firm believer of, you know, you never know when the opportunity is going to come again, if at all, any. So I think it's kind of that conundrum of do I take the opportunity? Do I not take the opportunity? I think in some cases, some clubs have probably looked at certain individuals and said, you know, you're not ready for the challenge that we've got ahead. Um, some clubs have still looked at certain candidates in, the, in those positions, especially, you know, you use the example of Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, he'd done a couple of years at, you know, Everton as a, as a youth team coach and, you know, working in the PDP and things like that. But, you know, they may, for whatever reason, they maybe felt he wasn't right yet or he wasn't the right fit or, or better yet. You know, they had someone who's been pushed into in their face so thought, even if we like Duncan, we can't really go with him because we've just been offered Rafa Benitez or, or a, a Marcus Silva or a, or a bloody Carlo Ancelotti or whoever else, you know, who's come in the door since then. So I think there's definitely some considerations there to make around the timing of things. I think... I think as, as much as you know, as much as these opportunities are out there, you know, you've got some clubs out there who are just constantly turning coaches over, um, poorly run clubs, not really given the opportunity to, you know, co- for coaches to kind of fur- further themselves and develop and really learn. But I think it's, it's it's a difficult one because, as a club, you also got to look at it from their perspective, and then you know how many clubs will be are willing to be, if you like, the guinea pigs for a coach to really learn their trade and, and um, you know apply their craft in that respect. Gerald, what are you going to say there, man? Honestly, there's loads that this conversation's opened up, and it we could probably end up going on here for hours, couldn't we? Because there's a lot of good topics. All I was going to add was, um, I mean, with Dan Machici, I'm, I'm going to try and use that as a another little angle of sometimes you you gravitate to where you need to be, don't you? Um, I'm not saying that's the case with him, but I've, I'm just piggybacking off an example where. Obviously, he's had a, a great experience with Tottenham as an academy coach, MK Dons as assistant CV, head of coaching, whatever. Went with England. Then he went and got, obviously, uh, MK Dons and he didn't quite work out where he would have wanted. Um, or maybe it has, who knows. But as a result of that, he's ended up becoming uh, and gained some good experiences with Arsenal, hasn't he? And he's gone back down within the youth. At, obviously, he's worked to his 16s and 18s, 21s, etc. And it might be that as a result of gaining those additional senior first-team experiences, it might be that maybe I'm not suited for here, but as a result of actually being in that job and seeing what it, it's required, I'm going to be a better developer here. You know, So that's another where certain people might look along their pathway of where they want to get to, time on the grass. By gaining those experiences and maybe perhaps not being as successful, it might actually steer you up for success later on. There are a couple of questions I had for Tony which I remembered was one, um, I've got two for you, Tony. One was the online. Uh, you sort of answered it. I think we are going more towards online, but uh, interested to get your thoughts on the benefits really of really trying to get more on the grass because although online is probably emerged more because of COVID and other things will transition and people want to do more that way. But actually, like as you said, you get better with interacting with people. So I'd be interested to see what you, your thoughts are there uh, with the online in-person debate. Is it better to do more blended approach or it's a bit of both? Um, I, th- I think there's a case for blended learning, um, but I don't think it. I, I don't think you can get a whole coaching award off the back of sitting in front of your laptop. Because like I say, the, the, 
the, the test of whether you're a coach or not isn't going to be the fact that you can sit there for three hours and pass a level one online. It's, it's that first 15, 20 minutes when you get out there, okay, you might know the team because you're, you're a parent coach or whatever. Um, but actually, when someone says, right, there you go, they're your balls, bibs and cones now, go and put on a session, that's going to that's gonna tell you whether you can coach or not, not whether you can click on a video of Ray Winston shouting at some kids or, or something like that. No, I agree. I think and my other question was around, we talked about it a lot today in terms of experiences and even, I guess, the ones who have played, perhaps played at more of an elite level. Does it matter? Is it a prerequisite? Um, because, of course, there will be those who have played and actually are good coaches and good on them. But there's a lot that have played and are very good or haven't had as much success. But then you'll see a lot of who have gone through the, the pathway of obviously learning how to teach, learn how to manage an environment, dealing with behaviour, as you talked about, and things like that. So I'm curious around, you know, experiences, what different experiences are probably needed to to give a coach the best chance to be successful? And is one of those a requirement to be professional or not? Because it's often a, a thing where a lot of coaches or certain clubs are, are seeking certain people because they put them in positions straight away. You know, like the example I gave where guys never even coached, but yeah, he ends up as an under-18s coach. But you've got coaches who are probably better and more effective at running a practice and creating an environment aren't working with the 18s or whatever yeah I think that you've got to have that first and foremost you've got to have the football knowledge okay so that might be that could you know you could develop football knowledge like I did I, I I played football as a kid and joined the army so all my football knowledge other than watching tv was gained by being coached by more experienced people than me I then became a physical training instructor and got coaching qualifications in loads and loads of other subjects, basketball, volleyball, swimming, athletics, boxing. And I've taken little bits of each of them so at different times and applied them to, to those various other subjects. So that wide-ranging experience of dealing with different people in different scenarios, different environments, gives you... I don't know, if you like, the confidence to do what I'm doing now, talking in front of the... OK, I can't see anybody. Uh, but talking in front of a group of people from a position of some strength. I'm not going to say that I'm the best coach ever or anything like that. It's a stupid thing for me to to even consider, you know. But there are people who will use their experiences from other fields and bring them into coaching and fair play to them as long as they can back it up with football knowledge. And and the test will always be, if you're in the pro environment, are you winning more games than you're losing? And if you're in a, a, a grassroots or a recreational environment, are the kids coming back to your sessions? They would be the key things for me. Um, and, and and just also touching before, before I jump off about... Um, about the Dan thing, really. And again, I don't know Dan particularly well. Um, it may well be that he's, you know, we're saying that the clubs have chopped and changed and made decisions. I don't know him well enough to know this. You might. But he might have had a go at first-team football and thought, do you know what, sod that, I'm going back to the academy. Um, but, but you can't jump out of it as easily as that sometimes once you've 
taken that jump into the fire. And I'm sure that there are coaches. I, I, when I've worked at different clubs, I've worked with Foundation Phase, YDP, PDP, and I've taken the reserve. I've been fortunate enough to work with senior pros. I know where my strengths lie. I don't want to work with Foundation Phase kids. I can if I have to, but it's not my strength. It's not where I want to be. Why do I know that? Because I've done it on the grass. I've done it on the pitch. I've taken the under-9s, the under-10s, the under-11s. It's not for me. So that learned experience tells me where I think I'm better suited. If I hadn't spent that time on the grass, how would I know? I go to the next club and the manager says to me, or the, the head of coaching says to me, oh, we want to put you with the under-10s. I've got a decision to make. Do I suck it up and go, well, yeah, I can do that. It's not where I want to be. He's then thinking all the time, well, he's just waiting to jump into the under-16s or the under-18s job. Um, and that that can then cause a little bit of conflict. That's a great shout, actually. I, I think, Yaz, I've been to get your thoughts on this as well. You've opened it up for me if, in terms of just that self-awareness piece. I mean, how self-aware are we? Which is, is difficult. I think there's a difference between... Because for you, what you're describing there is that real awareness of your strengths, not only what you want, but also where you're better suited for the players and for you. So it's not people listen and take it literally as, oh, well, I don't want to work there. I just want to work here. Because, you know, I had this issue. I'm sure you've had it where, you know, I was at a coach at uh, Bristol Rovers and I was doing some of the <laughs> coach development plans and I'm asking, oh, what do you want to be in a few years? And everyone wanted to be the under-18 coach, but they're working with the under-10s. And I'm, and I don't know if it's right or wrong to say this, but I was thinking, there's no way you're going to be the under 18s coach, and also you're not the right person, and, and that isn't the right goal to have, type of thing. I don't know if it's right to limit people, but you know what I mean. And I'm thinking, just be the best coach you can be, and where you're at now, you've still got a lot to learn. So I think it's a good point not to take you literally, but actually have that self awareness piece of where are my strengths lie, where do I want? Because it might be that you might be able to be the best. Why you know youth development? Oh, actually, be the best foundation phase type coach. But as a result of those experiences, you end up going up another level into YDP or whatever it may be, um, and that's where you end up, and that's okay. But I think it's also I quite like the confidence piece from you around you being comfortable with where you're at as well. I don't know how many of us are. Like, do we have that acceptance of I'm okay with what, be, being what I am now? And that decision, like you said, you've got to make of do I do this and suck it up or do I not? I think that's a powerful one to for people to lead on. Yeah, just I think just a final final point on that before we look to wrap up, Gerard. I think the question I think coaches, I'd, I'd rather, the question I'd, I'd consider coaches uh, or encourage coaches to ask themselves is where do you add the most value? Now, where you, where you can add the most value will be very different in most cases in well, in some cases, rather, um, to where you'd like to add the most value. So, you know, you get those people that want to be under-18s coaches, like you said, or, you know, working in the first team or working in, uh, you know, the under-23s or whatever whatever area of the game they decide, they, you know, they set their sights on. But you are, you, I think it, it, they, they don't really ask themselves, why? Why do I want that role? What is it about that role that's going to... Um, mean that I've become successful if that makes sense because really we're setting our sights on a role that we can say yeah that's the, you know that that, that that determines our success to, a, to an extent I think whether consciously or subconsciously that, that's kind of what we're doing 
Um, but I think the question to ask yeah, is where where can I add the most value? And you know, coming to Tony's point, I know myself as an example. I don't like working with foundation phase kids. Does it mean I can't do it? No, it doesn't mean I can't do it. However, what it does mean is that I know because that's not where I want to be, it may not necessarily be where I can add the most value because actually I also need to have a passion for what I'm doing. And I'm very clear on where I feel comfortable to add that value and I have that passion for then it, it, as, as much as I am very clear on where I don't think I can add that. So I think that that piece is really important to me. And I think that's, for me, in my own journey, it's kind of, you know, I've gone from, being very focused on wanting to become a coach to now actually I see that I've, I believe from my own experiences and the you know the, the the things that I've been able to do over the years actually most of the value that I think I can add is actually within the coach development space and whether that's in the form of us having these types of conversations whether that's you know delivering courses on behalf of different organizations or or you know in other facets but you know if you asked me at the start of my journey oh do you think you're going to go into coach development I would I would have I probably would have said no I probably would have said to you, I want to be a first team coach working in the Premier League. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that, that leads me into my second point in that just because we've got goals doesn't mean that those goals can't change. I think sometimes we're too set on our, set on our goals that we've set for ourselves back when we were 18. Well, actually, I'm 31 now. I'm 13 years down the line. I might not want the same things I wanted when I was 18. And if I do, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that either. As long as I understand that I'm in a different stage of my life. And the experience I've had may, may, may shape and further uh, cement those goals for me as these are where I want to go with it. Or actually some of the experience I've had kind of have maybe altered that, that path for me. And I think that's just as important. So I think, you know, just to kind of finish up on that one, um, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that. But for me, that was, you know, the, it's just recognising, again, what's the environment I'm in? Where do I want to end up? But more importantly, where can, where, where can I actually add the most value? And sometimes we can add more value in the in the areas that we haven't often considered as our own goals. Um, and I think that it kind of leads you lead you on to the final point that I was going to make around why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? I think as coaches, we're all in the game because we love the game. We have a passion for the game. But ultimately, I think we all want to make a difference. And uh, I think if we're able to do that in a way where it's affecting as many people in a positive way as possible, then I think we're on the right track. So just some just some things to consider there. I don't know if you've got anything you want to add there, Tony or Gerard. No, I think it's it's a really valid point that um that your that your goals or 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 your your aspirations might change depending on, on where you are in your journey. Like I say, it's quite easy for me to sit here now at, at sixty years old having had a full military career and then pretty much a full 20 years um, in coaching, having worked through all the different roles. You know, I never thought I'd ever get a job in a pro football club, for example, when I was getting out of the army. It's what I wanted to do um, and aspired to do, but I didn't know whether it was possible. Then when I got a part-time job, I thought, well, how am I ever going to get a full-time job? Because I worked at a club where most of the full-time roles were filled with ex-pros. Um, but I think if you've got that belief in yourself, um, which is not really something that I've ever lacked, um, then then you can push on and and you, you should you know you should adjust your goals. You know, if you, I'm not saying that 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 step from foundation to YDP to PDP, Gerard's writing what he says. I've had that 
same experience where where a lot of people have wanted that sort of linear career pathway. But actually, uh, again, I'm thinking to a couple of people when I was at Rotherham who worked with the foundation phase who were absolutely 100% suited to working with that age range. They knew that, they accepted that, and actually a couple of them went on to become uh, primary school teachers, changed careers to become primary school teachers. So, yeah, 100% that, you know, you need to keep looking and and reevaluating. But if you know that, like you said, I, I believe that I've added value in, in the roles that I've been lucky enough to get. So I I always said that whatever club I worked at, even when I was the academy manager at York City, I did not want the first team manager's job. You know, if you need someone to coach the first team, I can do that. Not a problem. But that, that ain't my career path. That's not what I was interested in. No, definitely. I think it might be time to wrap up on this one then, guys. Um, Tony, thank you very much for obviously all your input, all your insights you shared with us. And obviously, Gerard, as, as ever, man, um, great conversation, great insights. Um, we'll be back next week, guys. If you're not already following us, make sure you're following myself and Gerard. Um, make sure you get, get in there and follow Tony as well, one of our regulars. Um, be sure to share the space with everyone that you're, that's on your accounts as well because we're here every week, guys, every Sunday if you've got a topic or a theme that you want to hear discussed on the show please do let us know and until next week guys have a great weekend and a great rest of well great start to the next week take care guys have a great evening well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.